Episode 121, Sean Gallius. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki. And today I'm with my friend, Sean Gallius, Thought Catalyst at HumanWorks and Colby A. Index Specialist. We're about to have some thought-provoking conversation about the Colby and some very foundational takeaways that are really Sean's life rules. It's good stuff. Here we go. Sean, I'm guessing our listeners are just as intrigued as me to get into this conversation based on the title. So to lay the foundation, let's talk about the fascinating three parts of our mind. Nikki, I think that's a great place to start because I, I believe it's a sort of a unique way of looking at people that organizations and individuals don't fully explore. Many organizations consider one or two parts of our minds, and I think we think of those, but we always leave out what I believe is sometimes the most important part. So, you know, I think everybody knows the cognitive part of our mind, our knowledge, our skills. Some people would label that our IQ. And there are tools that measure that, like the Wonderlick test. People are aware of that cognitive part that drives us as humans. The second part is that affective part of our mind. Sometimes people would label that the personality, our feelings, our beliefs, or the things we like, likes and dislikes. And there are a lot of tools and assessments out there that give you information about your personality or the affective part of you. Things like StrengthsFinders, DISC, Myers-Briggs. So I think those are the most known. But that third part of the mind is, of course, what I'm really passionate about. And that is the conative part of our mind, which really is our natural instincts, our natural ways of striving and driving towards something that just that, that comes out of our bodies without us controlling it, thinking about it. It's just there. And that piece of our mind, when I think about it, is what is critical for an individual success. In order to be your best self, you really have to understand that and then really lean into that because it's there no matter what. Okay. This is so fascinating. So conative, that area of our mind, give us an example about, you know, you working with someone, you do this all the time, work with teams and help them become their very best. Give us an example of someone tapping into their conative mind and what happened because they became aware of that and how they better worked with their team members just to apply it. You got it. And I'll use the team that I work with at HumanWorks. We are all quite different in our natural instinctive abilities that way. And by being aware of that, we can really complement each other, you know, so much better and rely on each other so much better and also then have really honest and really transparent conversations around what's working or not working. So let me give you an example. I am one when it comes to research, when it comes to really digging in and and doing a lot of really research, I don't really like to do that. It's not part of my natural way of learning. I like to learn little bits. The way I'm wired and my instinct is I like to, you know, sort of be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Other members of my team will dive in. They will spend two or three hours, write up all the notes. And I love that because then with my instinct, I can then take those, outline those. I am more sort of that mid-range when it comes to sort of information and using it rather than trying to dive in. Knowing that, we can then set people in their best spot to work 
And then together, we get the best outcome because I'm not fighting against my instinct while they're leaning into it. Wow. I love that. And I can't wait to dig in more because I know we were talking assessments a minute ago and you rattled off some of my favorites, but there's also this one that is so powerful and so different and it's your favorite, I know, which is the Colby. Can you tell us more about how this came to be core to your practice and why it really stands out to you? One thing about you know assessments, uh, going back to those three parts of the mind, I always ask people, can you change your cognitive ability? Can you learn more things? Can you gain more knowledge? And I think everybody would answer, yes, I can. And then when I ask, can you change your likes or dislikes, that effective part of you? Does your personality kind of adjust? And people would normally say, yeah, sometimes it does based on who I'm with, what I'm doing. But then when I asked them that third part, that cognitive, that what Colby measures said, can you change your instinct? Can you change how you're wired? Now, sometimes people will say, well, I think I can. And then I always push back and say, you know, this Colby assessment, it proves based on reliability testing that the way you're wired as a youth, you'll be wired as an adult, you'll be wired, you know, up until the day you move on into the world. So that is why it's so critical to understand it. And there's no other tool around like the Colby assessment. You know, the leading theorist in Colby is Kathy Colby herself, which I'm honored and always grateful that I've had a chance to work and side by side and sort of learn from somebody who's who's sort of the person on understanding this part of the mind. What I like about it, though, is that it doesn't say you can't do anything. Colby doesn't say you can't do anything. It just tells you how you will want and strive to do something because it's it's who you are. The, the bottom line is it gives you the freedom, Nikki, to be yourself. Do it your way. When you have that freedom and you know it and everybody around you know it, you just get so much more energy that you can apply towards any sort of effort that way. So And we also say Colby's not an excuse not to do something because as human beings, we can do anything we darn well want to do. But Colby just allows you to sort of guide and lean into that natural part of you, your your natural sort of behaviors in a very strong way. I will tell you, I experienced the Colby uh, many years ago, and then you brought it back to me to do a refresher and really a great understanding of my just introspective look of myself at myself using the Colby and how that helped me in a different way. And here's what stood out for me. One is understanding why some of the things that are so daunting for me to do on my list definitely need to go. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's because it will take me 10 times longer than someone else on my team to do it because it is intrinsically not my gift, you know? And so I think the power is, and this is what we're doing soon, is this Colby group session where we can all understand each other's key drivers, if you will, and really tap into each other's best way of working because we can support what we do each do best and really understand because I'm always, as an example, let's just call it Salesforce as a CRM. I am a terrible CRM logging individual, like that kind of thing. There's other people that are like, man, that is my jam. I get every detail in there because I don't ever want to miss anything. And I feel like those people would judge me and say like, you are just so lazy. And I'm like, 
I don't, I don't understand. Like my computer screen literally like goes black when I have to do it. It just doesn't even work anymore. I'm like, oh my God, it just doesn't work. Like my mind like shuts down because it, it paralyzes me. And other people are like, it's very simple. Just go in and put the name, put the phone number. And I'm like, you don't understand. And so these kinds of sessions, they just help us understand, you know, why each of us have these different ways of thriving at work. And it's just, it's so powerful. And I was just so glad to revisit that with you. You bring up a really great point. You use the word lazy. And as human beings, if you don't know about this cognitive part, we tend to rely then and blame either cognitive ability, hey, just dumb, stupid, or we blame personality like lazy. You see what I'm saying? By understanding this third part of the mind and using the Colby to do that, it just opens up that conversation so much better, jumpstarts relationships, brings team efficiency. So I just wanted to mention that because that's what we hear when people are unaware of this, that they use, you know, they blame those other two parts of the mind. That was really good. I'm glad that you shared that. And I just wanted to come from a place that I could share how it was different, how Colby is different as an assessment tool. I don't think that, you know, no matter if you're the hugest fan in the world of Enneagram, Enneagram's awesome. Each of them have their own uniqueness, and Colby really has that uniqueness from a team dynamics perspective. So all of that gets us to what we're here to talk about, which is the five rules for trusting your gut. So let's break down the five rules and talk about, you know, this comes from Colby, but talk about your spin on these and how you apply them in the work that you do so passionately every day at HumanWorks. Probably I always talk with, with Kathy Colby. I said of all of her work, Colby Tool, everything that she's done in, in the world of conation, these five rules have kept me sane, Nikki. I always say my instinct keeps me sane, but these have really kept me sane. And when I was going through exiting an organization after 25 years, leading it from a, the human resources team and all of the culture areas of the organization, after going through a merger and deciding, you know, I'm going to go on on my own. I'm going to really try to help people from my perspective. And these rules are really what got human works to where it is today. So I have relied on them. I come back to them. I don't think there's a day that goes by when it doesn't jump into my mind saying, oh, that rule, I've got to remember to do that. So I always say, if any of you uh, that are listening to this are ever like in a state of burnout, numbness, fogginess, lack of direction, clarity, think about these five rules. Because I want to share what Kathy says. To your point, I would like to share how I've made it my own. Because any rule, any assessment, you have to internalize. You kind of have to self-reflect and make it into your own words. So I'll talk about Kathy's rule, but then I, I also want to share what I live by. So rule number one is act before you think. And, you know, to me, that's sort of jumping in. You know, I don't mind if it's research and writing, sorting, organizing, brainstorming, you know, drawing, you name it, building. It's just don't think about it so much. For me, that kind of comes naturally with my instinct where I, I like to brainstorm it. That's the first thing. You know, if I have a problem, I'm going to come up with a few different ideas to sort of think about it. When I'm writing, I don't like to think about it too much. I just sort of write what I'm feeling, what I believe, what's on my mind. And the goal there on each of those is to do it, part of your instinct, doing, and then think about it later, edit later, improve it later, throw it away later. And that freedom to sort of jump in your way, whatever that is. And I always say, hey, just relish the mess of it and clean it up later. Now, for some people's instinct, that mess or cleanup makes them want to sort of work against this. But, you know, I put my spin on it, Nikki, and I say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
And I think if you think about that role, it allows you to do what you never thought you could because it just allows, it gives you the freedom to try it, to jump in. And you know what? You and I have a very similar profile. So this one, I'm sure that there's one of these five that I'm going to get hung up on, but this one's just a natural. <laughs> I will. I, I never overthink that. People are like, did you even think about that before you like sent that proposal or whatever? I was like, not really. I just thought it was, I mean, we're going in the right direction. So let's just get moving. Let's just get moving. So, okay. I'm excited to hear more. And one thing about that, I know we're similar that way, but somebody like that maybe wired differently. It's somebody that likes that research. I would say, just go research. Make, who knows what you'll discover? Go research something that just appeals to you. Don't think about where you're going to apply it yet. Just jump in. So you can sort of see it can apply to different ways of instinct and natural action, um, not just sort of our, you and I jumping in with those brainstorming and coming up with five ideas off the top of our minds. But that's rule number one. Rule number two is self-provoke. And, you know, when I use the word provoke, you know, sometimes people think, oh, God, I don't know, do I want to provoke? It sounds, you know, almost has a, that could have a negative connotation. But what I think about provoke, it's sort of to stimulate an action, a reaction, emotion. It's just sort of deliberately sort of making yourself respond. So one thing I think about that, you know, I always say in my life, and maybe you feel the same, I'm not waiting for permission anymore. And I wish I would have sort of understood that a little bit sooner in my life. You know, I, as long as I know that I'm purposely doing something, doing what good for people, for organizations, for the world, my family, then I don't need to wait for permission. I know what I'm doing it for. I'm not going to apologize. I am just going to jump in and focus on people first. So that's sort of that self-provoke. I have a purpose, so do something about it. And so self-provoke is the rule. What I sort of made up my own, Nikki, and I don't know if this goes to you, I sort of call it, I am my own catalyst. Don't need to put anything on me. I am it. Get where I want to go. So on that, I always say, you know, when that self-provokes, another way I have people think about it, I love people to sort of think, what do you do to yourself to get yourself unstuck? Is it self-talk? Is it going back to those things that give you confidence? Whatever that is, that is that self-provoke. And I bet everybody, people on the call will think about it, where you sort of waited for someone to tell you to do something. And then you think, God, I should have done that a long time ago. It was, you know, push yourself, go in that direction. We were just talking about this on a team meeting yesterday about your toolbox or your systems or habits, whatever you want to call it, for when you lose your mojo. You know, like it fits in that where it's like you've got to have these go-to tools that hopefully sustain and you don't have the dips as often, but we all do have the dips, right? But what are those go-to things that revive your energy and bring your mindset back? And self-provoke on those. And we'll get to a rule that kind of goes when you have the depleted energy. It's rule number five. But how about I go to rule number three, though? In Kathy's language, commit, but to very little. And I really like this rule. I, you know, it's something that really helps me. And again, it's all about being intentional to me. You know, and I always say, you know, some people, it's not my best instinct, but some people, they're really good with their to-do list, their project list, their priorities. I can sometimes have multiple lists on multiple pads. <laughs> and I even buy fun colored pads just because I like the way they look and it's fun to write on them can kind of be madness. So this rule really helps me and it helps me just focus. And I come down to, you know, 
for me, my role on that is no more than four. And what I mean by that, I try to focus the four things that my instinct really relies on and try to do those every day. Let me tell you my four. I am really good at editing and explaining. So I find a time in my day to do that because I know if I'm editing, explaining, I'm in my world. I'm in my instinct. The second thing, I love to tweak and sort of whether it's a process, whether it's editing something, you know, I'm, I'm a tweaker kind of thing as far as processes and practices. I love to improvise. That's the third thing I try to do. I like to play with things, whether it's words or processes. So daily, I try to do that. And then my fourth thing, um, no more than four, is daily I try to imagine and try to actually suspend my need for clarity. And I think that sometimes goes against what I try to guide leaders and organizations to do, find clarity. But sometimes I like to suspend my need for clarity so that I can really have a creative thought. That's commit, but to very little. Can't operate from a cluttered mind or a cluttered home, right? So same thing applies. And get so, you know, people shut down when you say yes to too much. I've been there. I actually have a saying, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And that's really helped me. Yeah, that could be your rule around commit, but to very little. You're only doing the hell yeses. I love that. The rule number four, Nikki, is be obstinate in overcoming obstacles. And again, another word, Kathy, I love her choice of words because they're really strong words and words people don't use as much as maybe they should. And this is the word obstinate because I think people think if you're obstinate, that's not a good thing. Now, the way she ties it to overcoming obstacles, I think is what makes it really good. It's kind of like we each in this world today, we have to be relentless about what's important. That's really it. Find a way. It exists. It may not be where you start, but it's, just, again, it's that deliberate being relentless. And if there's an obstacle, you know, be say, hey, I'm going to get through this no matter what. So my rule around there is no more may find a way. Don't let somebody sort of say, you know, may I do, don't, it sort of ties a little bit back to that permission. But, you know, I have a badge of honor, a story around this. When I was leaving the organization after 25 years after the merger with new leadership, I was called obstinate. I had never been called obstinate in my life. But after you know, working with Kathy, I, I couldn't wait to tell her. I felt it was almost like a badge of honor because I wasn't going to back down on what I believed in and what was important for this organization from a people perspective to move forward. So I always say, stick with your instincts. No more may out of me. I'm going to find a way through whatever obstacle that is. So how about I wrap with the fifth rule? And this is the one you had mentioned a little bit before when you're kind of, you know, stuck or depleted. And gosh knows we've had those days probably over the last year, more than ever. And rule number five, and I always tell Kathy, this is my favorite rule, is do nothing when nothing works. I love this rule because it gives you permission to do nothing. And I, I suppose you might feel that too. Sometimes it feels like I, I can't do nothing. There's so much to do. But when you felt worn out, exhausted, whatever, you know, the, the feeling, you know, the numbness as far as that goes, this rule is all about as humans, we need time to give our natural instincts a rest, a rest. It, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like the gasoline warning light coming on. You're just out of gas. You're out of that, that energy that you have. For me, my rule on this is I need to feed the soil of my soul. 
that's why I call it. And Kathy really likes that that phrase. And I said, Kathy, that's what it meant to me. I it's I just need to feed myself. And doing nothing for me is like adding those nutrients to my, you know, it's like adding nutrients to a plant or the water to a plant or whatever it may need, the sunlight. And for me, what doing nothing is really just taking charge of my timeouts and being intentional. I need sometimes just quiet and stillness. I go, I go a mile a minute. So one of my escapes is to really just get into quiet or stillness. At the same time, sometimes doing nothing for me is just disconnecting from the computer and grabbing a book I can just jump into. Now, that may sound like I'm doing something, but for me, it's doing nothing, recharging, just letting my body sort of take it in. And you know, there's times in our life where I call this allowing time for the waiting room. I had to learn that through a divorce and challenging time that, you know, there was just a period of time that I needed to be in the waiting room and no aggressive Nikki out doing all of these things and trying to change the world and all of this. It's like, I just need time to be in the waiting room. And, you know, Sean, here's the interesting part was even when I tried to do stuff during that time, nothing flowed. It was like doors wouldn't open. It wasn't flowing. It was hard. And I think we have to be aware of when it's time to just pause and and wait until it is the right time and not just fill that, just fill the space. All of these are so good. And it makes me think of something that I just want to have a little conversation for a minute before we transition. So I think it's so important to have our own set of personal rules for life. And you mentioned some of yours and and I shared a couple of mine, like one of my foundational is if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And I think everyone to have those like personal rules that they go to, to help them make decisions. It's just so powerful. And then on the flip side, I think it's really powerful when you see, see organizations that have live values or this company I worked with a while back ago, they had something called a culture code. And it was the way that people show up in the workplace, in conversations with their people, how they make decisions. You know, like you've probably read the book or know of it, the Southwest way, the South, you know, Southwest airlines. And just, you know, there's something in that book that I can remember people being empowered to make, make decisions outside of policy to affect the mission. Right. And it's just, we just live the culture making decisions and we're empowered to do that based on this like culture code philosophy or live values. And so just something to think about. I think the Colby is such a fascinating tool that helps all of us get to know ourselves and others better so that we work better as humans, you know, ourselves and tap into like where our strengths are and know like, no, I'm not lazy. This is just what I'm really good at. And I need to delegate this or I need help with this and find ways to work with people better. But then the other part of just this amazing takeaway from this episode is if we can operate from our core rules for ourselves and for the companies in which we you know, are part of, man, it's just such a game changer. What are your thoughts on all that? I'm with you. Sometimes I call that, I try to guide people to create their always laws, if that helps, you know, a different way to sort of say that. But from your talk about values, that is one of the things human works and the majority of the clients we work with, we always start with those values, whether a company has not discovered them or whether they need to elevate the language and the words they use to describe them and make them really gutsy and actionable, because that's when you get that connection and people can sort of align and align their values with what the company is going. And I'll just mention, you mentioned some that you would seen an organization use human works values. And I touch these every day. One is to champion people. If I don't find 
championing people sometime today, I haven't had a good day. It's a value of mine. I, it's got to happen. Another one is to elevate. No matter what experience I'm there, I'm always trying to elevate it, take it to another level, move it ahead, move it up, whichever direction. The next one is to be authentic. I hope you get a, I'm me, I can't change it. And that's what you're going to get um, right out front. The next one is to breathe. And that's sort of my do nothing. Breathe is one of our values in human works. And then the fifth value that we live by is the word wonder. To really take time in it every day, in, in every relationship, to just wonder, put some good creative thought, thinking. And so, again, I, I totally, and Colby plays into that because if you have good values, you understand your instincts, that energy and that passion is just going to be lifted. Sean, I love your energy. I really, truly enjoy every interaction that I have with you. And the work that you do is so important. And I know you've led that business and built that business with passion. I highly recommend anyone that wants to learn more about what Sean's sharing or the Colby, reach out directly. I'm going to have his information in the show notes. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We're going to listen to a quick sponsor message and then we'll do what we do on every Gut Plus Science episode. We get to know our guests a little bit better with our lightning round. So we'll be right back. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. All right, back on Gut Plus Science with Sean Gallius. And uh, it was such a great conversation today. Very much enjoyed it, Sean. I love all of our interactions. And now it's time to learn a little bit more about you or share some of your favorite things with us. So sometimes this is a very tough one. What is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? If you just have to pick one. Well, if I had to pick one, the book that jumped to mind is Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin. And I don't know, it, it was written back in the early 70s about a group of people in San Francisco. And it was originally put into the, I think, San Francisco Chronicle sort of as a serialized sort of column and then turned into books. But it is a book that I constantly go back to. And it, I think it's because it shows such a variety of people and sort of building that tribe, that family, and what can really be your family. Um, it touches me, and I just gave it to somebody to read two weeks ago. It, it's probably the book I have given to the most people to read. So that's what jumps to mind. And then, Sean, what is your favorite hobby when you're not working? If I'm not working, if there was if one thing that could be on that weekend schedule, it would be to explore a flea market, Nikki. I'm attracted to old, vintage, rusty stuff. And sometimes I turn that rusty stuff into art, actually. For example, I got a set in my condo where I'm sitting talking to you of glove molds, large glove molds that were used in a factory, or vintage gymnasium equipment, or mandrels, blacksmithing mandrels, you name it. Those kind of things that have just have some sort of history and a little bit of character through their use and rust. I can't keep my hands off of them. So Sean, what is your all-time favorite vacation spot? If I had to, I would pick two. And what comes to mind, 
I adore the south of France, Provence. And if I had a second, it would be New York City. And I think of the Provence area, I love the tranquility of the spot. And I love the, the warmth of the French people. The second, I am a theater fanatic. My background is in theater. So when I get to New York, I feel like I'm in my element. Sean, how can our listeners connect with you after the show? Look me up on LinkedIn. I, I, if, you, if you say, hey, I was on Gut and Science with Nikki and I heard you and I'll respond. So find me on LinkedIn, Sean Golius. I think I'm the only one out there. And then also go to our website on HumanWorks, which is humanworks 8 the number eight.com. And you'll see a lot about, you'll see a lot about Colby there and a lot of the other things we do around our system that we call the eight on how we have beliefs around people and how to elevate those in organizations and in life. Awesome conversation with my friend, Sean today. Here's my truth. You can act on number one, act before you think, don't think about it so much. So what could you get going on this week? Number two, Limit what you say yes to. Remember, when we say no, we have more time for our yes. And number three, be relentless. First up, have a toolbox for when you fall and have those things that pick you back up and keep you going quicker. And you'll figure it out when you just keep going and just keep trying. So be relentless. Just keep going. All right. This gets me all fired up and I hope it did you too. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.